Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? Okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen. What it would be like. Feel like. I just... I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, You play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This is Exquisite Corpse, Episode 2. Dig in. The image adjusted itself again. No, not the image. He had to remind himself of that. In order to capture his best performance, he had to think of this as reality. Because it was. He couldn't think about the sensors and the technology that allowed him to step into an image like this. This was the world now. The Furies blurred and vanished, and he waited to see what would appear in their place. Fatherly, that had been the title of the image. He wondered again where it would take him. Everything around him was a blur, like the static that used to appear on antique televisions back when analog signals had still been a thing. Can you hear me? Annie's voice cut through the haze. Loud and clear. Is everything functioning correctly? Oh, absolutely. Are you ready for your last great performance? I'm dying to get started, he quipped. I've been thinking about that. You never told me how long the doctors gave you. His arm ached. He glanced down and noticed that the scratch was already puffy and red. I had the luxury of three different opinions. 
The first said six months, the second said three months. The third said somewhere between those. Regardless, the clock is ticking and the camera's rolling. It's funny, we live in an era where humankind has begun to colonize Mars and the moon, where we've mapped the human genome and begun to cure things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And yet, cancer is still a thing. Dying is always an absolute, Annie said. Perhaps. But if I'm going to die, then it should be as I lived. My death should be art. Is that what all those films were? Art? Of course. Don't tell me you have doubts at this stage in life. She didn't respond. He turned his attention back to his surroundings. The image was still blurred. Annie, are you still there? I'm here. I'm just thinking. About what? Well, I'm the director this time, correct? Yes. Then it occurs to me that your death performance should begin with an accounting of your life. A trip down memory lane, as it were. Yes. Gesturing with excitement, he danced around. His shriveled penis banged against his thigh, flaccid in its cancer-induced uselessness. What a wonderful idea. I like it. A sort of a career-spanning retrospective. I wasn't thinking of a Libertine Greatest Hits collection. No. It... He stood up again, trying to hide the disappointment in his tone. Then what did you have in mind? The electronic fog began to swirl and gel into new shapes. You've taken from women your entire life. Annie's voice was devoid of emotion, as if she were reciting what she'd had for breakfast. You use them to create your art. That's not true. He protested, watching figures form in the mist. My art was always consensual, even if it sometimes depicted the opposite. That was the whole point, to portray imagery and acts that people fantasized about, but would never commit to in real life. Is that what you tell yourself? It's the truth. My actresses consented. I have signed release forms from each and every one of them, stretching back over my entire career. I still have yours, Annie. Did I treat you poorly when we performed together? If so, you've had decades to complain, and you never did. Oh, you poor fool. I felt sorry for you when I learned that you were dying, but I think I pity you even more now. I'm not talking about physical violence. You've taken from every woman you have ever met, psychologically and emotionally. That's what you used to create your art. She spat the last word with derision. It was never about that, he protested. I found beauty in every form. I captured it, immortalized it. Annie laughed, and he flinched at the sound. The shapes in the image with him became clearer now, coalescing into human forms. You sound like Lord Henry in the picture of Dorian Gray. Or perhaps Dorian Gray himself. And you sound like the British book reviewers who said that Oscar Wilde merited criminal prosecution for violating public morality laws when he published it. Annie's laughter grew louder. Frowning, he pressed on. I know what you're attempting to do, dear. You want to frighten me, or perhaps anger me, tease my emotions. You're trying to coax a performance. Well played. 
Is that what I'm doing? He nodded. In the corners of his vision, the human figures began to develop features and definition. Do you remember what happened to Dorian Gray at the end of Wilde's novel? He shrugged sullenly. He decided that only a full confession would absolve him of his crimes. And so he stabbed the only piece of evidence documenting his debauchery. The picture. And here I am inside a picture. He rolled his eyes for effect. Very apropos, Annie. Now how about we get on with it? As I said, I'm aware of what you're up to, you clever girl. I don't think you do. Not yet. But you will. Exasperated, he balled his hands into fists. Then why don't you explain it to me in full? You're the director. Give me some direction. As I said, I think we should begin with a retrospective. Something occurred to me after our dinner at Mandarin the other night. The world has seen so much of you. They've seen the details of your expression captured on film. But they can't really feel the emotions behind it. They know you vicariously, but they don't truly know you. Exactly. They want a precise quantity of physical reality. As a performer and director, I've always decreed where the line was. But not this time. This time I get to decide that. The image solidified around him. He staggered backward in surprise. Instead of being surrounded by the Furies, he found himself standing inside his childhood home, specifically his bedroom. Whoa. What? The human figure stepped toward him, and although it had been years since he had seen them anywhere other than his memories, he gasped in recognition. Annie, what are you? I, stop this. Her disembodied laughter boomed throughout the image. Nonsense. As I said, your fans have seen you with so many women, but still, they don't really know you. I thought we would begin with some of the other women in your life, the first ones you took from, even before you were making art. He backed away, hands up in a warding gesture, until he felt the wall against his naked back. Come now, darling. Annie teased. This is your mother and your sister. Aren't you pleased to see them again? They don't seem pleased to see you. I wonder why that is. Let's find out. Let me out of here, he demanded. Disconnect me at once and stop this. Oh, calm down. They can't hurt you. At least not physically. And even if they could, why does it matter? You're dying anyway, remember? Didn't you want to capture that on film? Annie. Please. Quiet on the set. And... Action. This program is sponsored by Factor. Hey, everybody, if you're trying to eat healthier and want to make your life easier, Factor's got it all figured out. Delicious, ready-to-eat meals that are delivered to you fresh, never frozen. They're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. That's right, two minutes. No meal prep. Nada. Zip. There's 35 different options that change every single week. You can choose the calorie smart option if you're trying to lose weight, like I am. There's a protein plus option if you work out on a regular basis, like I'm trying to do. There's even keto if you want a low carb option. There are also 60 add ons if you want to make your meal larger, or you can choose a snack. It's completely flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week.
You can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Head to factormeals.com slash FR50 and use code FR50 to get 50% off. That's code FR50 at factormeals.com slash FR50 to get 50% off. Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh here, producer and head of audio here at Realm. There's a new show I think you'll be interested in called Ominous Thrill. It's an anthology of character-driven dark fiction. In its next episode, titled Being True, Stuart hits his breaking point and turns to the dark web to order the end of a troublesome client. But the mysterious woman who answers his call proves to have even darker needs of her own. Here's the short preview. You want to know why? Okay. Because I can't live like this anymore. I need this solved once and for all. Then do this yourself. I have fantasized about that so many times. How it would happen. What it would be like. Feel like. I just... I need help. Professional help. Ominous Thrill is out now, everywhere you listen. His mother's mouth fell open and she covered her eyes. What are you doing? My God, put some clothes on, his sister Christina shouted. While they kept their eyes averted, he hurried to his dresser. He pulled open the drawer and grabbed a pair of underwear and put them on. The timeline had taken him back over 20 years, and if it weren't for the insidious cancer decimating his body, there would have been no way he could have fit into them. Okay, he said, all covered. His mother and sister returned their gazes to him. He didn't even know what to say or how to approach any semblance of conversation with either of them after all he had put them through. But then he remembered he was now placed some time before the worst of it. Did you hear back from your father's lawyer? His mother asked. The question was like being hit with a hammer in the gut. It made him recall one of the last times he'd seen her alive, and he realized he was reliving those very moments. It was the day he came to see the kind of person he really was. No, no, uh, not yet. Well, all right, she said. Her face fell in disappointment, and she shuffled out of his bedroom. His sister remained. She nodded her head and folded her arms over her chest. How long do you plan on living here? She asked. He ran his hand over his bald head, but didn't reply. Don't you think you've sucked her dry long enough? Sucked her dry? The comment hit a nerve, and he reacted just how his sister had expected. I think staying here for the last three years for free while Dad is dying is the equivalent of that. I have a job. Oh, I forgot. You're an artist. She laughed and shook her head. He could feel the anger radiating off of her. Your hair, or lack thereof, looks stupid. She towered over him even while he was standing. She was built like a linebacker and had fists like sledgehammers. Why don't you just leave me the hell alone? One of these days, you're going to get repaid for all the shit you've ever pulled, his sister said and stomped from the room. At the time, he rolled his eyes as she left. But now, with Annie in control, he felt her words hanging around his neck like an anchor. He sat on his bed, the same one he'd used as a teenager. The walls were still decorated with posters from his adolescence. He'd left them all hanging there when he moved out the first time and made his way to Los Angeles. 
He'd returned under the guise of being there for his mother while his father died, but in reality, he was broke and looking for money anywhere he could find it. He needed to jumpstart his career again, and his father's life insurance money would be his ticket to accomplish that. This was a pivotal moment in your career, wasn't it? Annie's voice spoke. I told you all about this. No, you told me your side. I think it's time to see how things actually went down. How you came back to L.A. with enough money to fund your next project. And your sister... Don't do this. It's too late. It's already been done. The audience is just experiencing it from your eyes, getting a glimpse of the real you. What was the project you made after this? He refused to answer. It pained him to even recall the name. Oh, yes. River Bloom. Your comeback art exploitation flick. It made you a big star. What was the name of your lead actress? He didn't respond. Selena? Benny, don't. She was gorgeous, but couldn't swim worth a shit. Annie said coldly. That was an accident. And consent forms keep you from being responsible for accidents. I loved her once, he stammered. Just like you loved your mom, right? Annie, I, I don't think I can continue with this. Sorry, I'm the director now. This is your grand finale, your last great performance before the cancer eats you up. It has to be something no one will forget, she said. And you always give the audience what they ask for. Annie watched him sit in the image, his face contorted in unearthed shame. She saw the real him, which he had tried to bury long before his name was big in the gothic art scene, and he was hailed as a god of capturing raw grief and pain on film and transforming them into exquisite displays. Around him, the image blurred, and Annie could hear the furies gathering around him like hidden thunderstorms. They awaited his end, the righteous justice so many of his hidden victims longed for. Even Annie. I believe the good part is coming, she said, and watched him recoil like a frightened worm. He could hear the phone ringing from the living room, and it triggered an urgency he spent years recalling only in his nightmares. He had to obey it, if only to get out of this image and leave this part of his life once more, but this time really and truly forever. He rushed to answer it while his mother was outside wishing his sister a good night. I'll be right there. As he spoke them, the words seemed to echo in his ears. He hung the phone up and went back to his room, passing the fireplace that held old family pictures. His mother kept them there as a reminder of how they used to be. Now, as he aged, he was far different from the boy on the bright red bicycle his father had bought him for Christmas. He swallowed the guilt creeping up inside of him and rushed to get dressed. Where are you going? His mother asked as he stepped out the front door with his suitcase in hand. I'm going to check on Dad, he answered, watching the tears spring up in her eyes. They said he doesn't have long now. And that? His mom asked, pointing to his bag. I don't know how long it will be. I might need a change of clothes. His mother nodded and began to weep. We knew this was coming. Has been for years, but I still don't think I can make it through this. He put his hand on his mother's shoulder and squeezed it lightly. It's for the best. I'll call Christina and have her come back, she said. 
That would be a good idea, so you're not alone, he said as he hurried out to his car. It was a time before social media and cell phones were the size of a brick. He knew his mother would wait for him to call her and let her know the details. He counted on that fact as he jogged across the parking lot of the hospice facility and past the front desk. The seedy lawyer sat in an uncomfortable chair beside his dying father, the paperwork already spread out across the old man's chest. Is he awake? Just barely, the lawyer answered. I had to tell the nurse to wait on his morphine. His father moaned softly. His body was nothing more than a tormented prison for his soul now. Papa, open your eyes. The old man's eyelids fluttered at his son's voice. The nurse said she'd give you more pain meds, but you have to sign something first. His father took a shallow breath and opened his eyes just a peep. He was slipping away, receding to some other place. The doctor had informed them he wouldn't live through the night, but he couldn't die without finishing a little business. At least his son thought so. Come on, Dad, he said, pulling a pen from his shirt pocket. You have to sign these changes to your will. Remember what you promised me. He promised to leave you everything as long as you looked after your mom, right? Annie's voice broke through the scene. He put the pen in his father's hand and guided the tip of it to the paper. Come on, Dad, he urged. What a great son you were. About as good as you were at being a friend, co-worker, and boyfriend, Annie said, her voice filled with venom. You duped your dying father? What a piece of shit. His father halted, and with the last of his strength, he looked up at his son and weakly shook his head. I can hear her. An angel. His voice was hoarse from wearing an oxygen mask day in and day out while his insides were slowly devoured by cancer. His eyes widened at his son as the words he heard the angel speaking sunk in. Hush, Dad, just sign it. He wrapped his hand around his father's and forced it to sign a messy version of the old man's signature. Then he tore it away and handed it to the rat-faced lawyer, who nodded and shoved it into a briefcase. No, his father whispered breathlessly. I will get this taken care of and sent to you in Los Angeles, the lawyer said. He scurried from the room as his client sat down beside the dying man. I could hear the angel. She's said... The old man rasped. He let out a long sigh, and the monitors attached to him went wild. His son didn't stop to see if the nurses could revive him. He simply walked out to his car and left. You didn't even stop to say goodbye to your mother, Annie said. She was set up just fine in the nursing home. It was all in the plan for after the household, he answered. You mean the hellhole that didn't feed her right or take her out into the sunshine? Shut up! What? Are you afraid the real you is showing? She was happy. I talked to the staff. Oh, sure she was. But you're forgetting someone else. Annie reminded him. Headlights set on high beam lit the cab of his car and the honking of a horn startled him. He watched the car behind him get dangerously close on the winding country road he was racing down. It sped up, matching his pace. He looked over and could see his sister yelling and pointing to the side of the road. It's Christina, your sister, Annie taunted. I don't think she was too happy with you. 
He stomped the gas pedal and his car roared as it sped up. He braced himself for the memories, the terrible reality of living it all again, and the sound of impact. From her perspective, Annie watched the Furies massing together in a blinding cloud of ferocious energy. They hurried along with unearthly speed towards the two cars. Annie held her breath and closed her eyes, waiting to savor the sounds of colliding steel and his terrified screams. I just want my end to be artful, he screamed into the cab of the car. Bright lights filled his vision and he braced for what would happen next. It's going to be, darling, Annie answered without an ounce of sweetness in her voice. The squealing of brakes was like a familiar voice, an executioner's verdict read in his memory. This time he kept his eyes wide open and there was no mistaking that it wasn't a runaway truck barreling toward him, toward his sister's car pursuing him in his side view mirror. It was a horde of furies. Their faces held the fires of hell. Their voices struck his heart like a tolling bell. Their words were indistinguishable, yet he felt terror filling the void in his gut where remorse should have resided. He gripped the wheel and screamed, a high-pitched shriek that tore up from his chest and out his throat. Tears streamed down his cheeks as the fire and light surrounding the Furies engulfed him. He felt the heat against his eyelids as he clamped them shut. His mouth hung open and more hoarse cries escaped him, but he waited and waited. And his end didn't come. He opened his eyes to the image swirling and his eyes fought to focus. You didn't think I'd let it be that easy, did you? You're listening to Fear, Exquisite Corpse, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Exquisite Corpse is written by Richard Chismar, Paul Cornell, Christopher Golden, Brian Keane, Cassandra Kaw, Stephen Kozanuski, Nick Mamatis, Sisters of Slaughter, Paul Tremblay, and Alyssa Wong. Performed by XE Sands. Produced by Lydia Shama. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Amanda Rose Smith. 
Fear is produced by Mary Osadolihi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Osadolihi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.